was Jacob right to take the blessings and to do so in disguise? Was he right to deceive his father and to take from his brother Esau the blessing Isaac sought to give him? Was Rivka right in conceiving the plan in the first place and encouraging Jacob to carry it out? These are fundamental questions. What's at stake is not just biblical interpretation, but the moral life itself. How we read a text shapes the kind of person we become. Here is one way of reading the narrative. Rivka was right to propose what she did, and Jacob was right to do it. Rivka knew that it would be Jacob, not Esau, who would continue the covenant and carry the mission of Abraham into the future. She knew this on two separate grounds. First, she'd heard it from God himself in the oracle she received before the twins were born. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated from within you. One will be stronger than the other, and the elder will serve the younger. Esau was the elder, Jacob the younger. Therefore, it was Jacob who would emerge with greater strength. Jacob, who was chosen by God. Secondly, she'd watched the twins grow up. She knew that Esau was a hunter, a man of violence. She'd seen that he was impetuous, mercurial, a man of impulse, not calm reflection. She'd seen him sell his birthright for a bowl of soup. She'd watched while he ate, drank, rose, and left. So Esau despised his birthright. No one who despises his birthright can be the trusted guardian of a covenant intended for eternity. Third, in any case, just before the episode of the blessing, we read when Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beri the Hittite, and Bosmat, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rivka. This, too, was evidence of Esau's failure to understand what the covenant requires. By marrying Hittite women, he proved himself indifferent both to the feelings of his parents and to self-restraint in the choice of marriage partner that was essential to being Abraham's heir. The blessing had to go to Jacob. If you had two sons, one indifferent to art, the other an art lover and aesthete, to whom would you leave the Rembrandt that's been part of the family heritage for generations? And if Isaac didn't understand the true nature of his sons, if he was blind not only physically but also psychologically, might it not be necessary to deceive him? He was by now old. And if Rivka had failed in the early years to get him to see the true nature of their children, was it likely that she could do so now? This was, after all, not just a matter of relationships within the family. It was about God and destiny and spiritual vocation. It was about the future of an entire people, since God had repeatedly told Abraham that he would be the ancestor of a great nation who'd be a blessing to humanity as a whole. And if Rivka was right, then Jacob was right to follow her instructions. This was the woman whom Abraham's servant had chosen to be the wife of his master's son because she was kind, because at the well she had given water to a stranger and to his camels also. Rivka was not Lady Macbeth. She was the embodiment of loving kindness. She wasn't acting out of favoritism or ambition. And if she had no other way of ensuring that the blessing went to one who would cherish it and live it, then in this case the end justified the means. That is one way of reading the story, and it is taken by many of the commentators. However, it is not the only way. Consider, for example, the scene 
that transpired immediately after Jacob had left his father. Esau returned from hunting and brought Isaac the food he'd requested. And then we read this. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came, Bamirma, deceitfully, and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't he rightly named Yaakov? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. Then he asked, Haven't you got one blessing left for me? It is impossible to read that passage. The text, as it stands without commentary, and not to feel sympathy for Isaac and Esau, rather than Rivka and Jacob. This, the whole language here, Isaac trembling violently, and, and, and uh, Esau bursting out with a loud and bitter cry. This cannot but affect us deeply. Here's an old man who's been deceived by his younger son, and a young man, Esau, who feels cheated out of what was rightfully his. The emotions triggered by this scene stay with us long in the memory, and they cause us to identify with Esau, not Jacob. Then consider the consequences. Jacob had to leave home for more than 20 years in fear of his life. He then suffered an almost identical deceit practiced against him by Lavan when he substituted Leah for Rachel. When Leg Jacob cried out, Lama rimitani, why did you deceive me? Laban replied, Lo yesa came bim komenu, it is not done in our place to set the younger before the elder. Not only uh, the act, but even the words used imply punishment to Jacob measure for measure. Deceit, of which Jacob accuses Lavan, is the very word Isaac used about Jacob. And Laban's reply sounds virtually like an explicit reference to what Jacob had done, as if to say, we don't do in our place what you have just done in yours. And then the result of Lavan's deception brought grief to the rest of Jacob's life. There was tension between Leah and Rachel. There was hatred between their children. And then Jacob was deceived yet again, this time by his sons, when they brought him Joseph's blood-stained robe, another deception of his father by his children involving the use of clothes. And the result was that Jacob was deprived of the company of Joseph, his most beloved son, for 22 years, just as Isaac was of Jacob. When asked by Pharaoh how old he was, Jacob replied, Few and evil have been the years of my life. Now, Jacob is the only figure in the Torah to make a remark like that, and it's hard not to read the text as a precise statement of the principle of measure for measure, as you have done to others, so will others do to you. The deception brought all concern, great grief, and this persisted into the next generation. My reading of the text is therefore this. The phrase in Rivka's oracle, Varav Yavod Sa'ir, is in fact ambiguous. It may mean the elder will serve the younger, but it may also mean the younger will serve the elder. It was what the Torah calls a chida, that is an opaque, deliberately ambiguous communication. It suggested an ongoing conflict between the two sons and their descendants, but not who would win. Isaac fully understood the nature of his two sons. He loved Esau, 
But this didn't blind him to the fact that Jacob would be the heir of the covenant. Therefore, Isaac prepared two sets of blessings, one for Esau, the other for Jacob. He blessed Esau with the gifts he felt Esau would appreciate, wealth and power. Listen to those blessings. May God give you heaven's dew and the earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine, that is, wealth. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. That is power. These are not the covenantal blessings. The covenantal blessings that God had given Abraham and Isaac were completely different. They were about children and a land. And it is this blessing that Isaac later gave Jacob before he left home. Listen to the words. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples, that is, children. And then may give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take the possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham, that is, land. Now, this was the blessing Isaac had intended for Jacob all along. There was no need for deceit or and disguise. And Jacob eventually came to understand all this, perhaps during his wrestling match with the angel, during the night before his meeting with Esau, after their long estrangement. What happened at that meeting is incomprehensible until we understand that Jacob was giving back to Esau the blessings he had wrongly taken from him. The massive gift of sheep, cattle, and other livestock represented heaven's dew and the earth's richness, that is, wealth. And the fact that Jacob bowed down seven times to Esau was his way of fulfilling the words, may the sons of your mother bow down to you, that is, power. Jacob gave the blessing back. Indeed, he said so explicitly. He said to Esau, please accept et birkati, this my blessing that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me and I have all I need. On this reading of the story, Rivka and Jacob made a mistake, a forgivable one, an understandable one, a well-motivated one, but a mistake nonetheless. The blessing Isaac was about to give to Esau was not the blessing of Abraham. He intended to give an Esau a blessing appropriate to him. In so doing, he was acting on the basis of precedent. Don't forget, God had blessed Ishmael with the words, I will make him into a great nation. This was the fulfillment of a promise God had given Abraham many years before when he told him that it would be Isaac, not Ishmael, who would continue the covenant. And Abraham said to God, would that Ishmael might live unto your blessing? And God tells him, yes, I will bless him too. Isaac surely knew this because according to Midrashic tradition, he and Ishmael were reconciled in later life. We see them standing together at Abraham's grave. It may be that this was a fact Rivka didn't know. She associated blessing with covenant. She may have been unaware that Abraham wanted Ishmael blessed, even though he knew he wouldn't inherit the covenant, and that God himself had acceded to that request. If so, then it is possible that all four people acted rightly as they understood the situation, yet still tragedy occurred. Isaac was right to wish Esau blessed as Abraham had sought for Ishmael. Esau acted honorably toward his father. Rivka 
sought to safeguard the future of the covenant. Jacob felt qualms, but did what his mother said, knowing that she wouldn't have proposed deceit without a strong moral reason for doing so. Do we have here one story with two possible interpretations? Perhaps. But that isn't the best way of describing it. What we have here, and there are other examples in Genesis, is a story we understand one way the first time we hear it, and a different way once we have discovered and reflected on all that happened later on. It's only after we've read about the fate of Jacob in Laban's house, the tension between Leah and Rachel, the animosity between Joseph and his brothers, that we can then go back and read Genesis 27, the chapter of the blessing, in a new light and with greater depth. There is such a thing as an honest mistake. And it's a mark of Jacob's greatness that he recognized it and made amends to Esau. In the great encounter, 22 years later, the estranged brothers meet, embrace, part, of, part as friends, and go their separate ways. But first, Jacob had to wrestle with an angel. That is how the moral life is. We learn by making mistakes. We live life forward, but we understand it only looking back. Only then do we see the wrong turns we inadvertently made. This discovery is sometimes our greatest moment of moral truth. For each of us, there is a blessing that is ours. That was true not just of Isaac, but also Ishmael. Not just Jacob, but also Esau. The moral could not be more powerful. Never seek your brother's blessing. Be content with your own.